My name is Billy, and uh, I am just very excited to be able to be here and to be able to uh, share with you guys this morning. Um, just want to start off um, with just a brief overview of my story and how I got here, so I'm not just a stranger speaking to you guys up here. Um, so for starters, I didn't actually go to college here in the Pioneer Valley. I went to college in upstate New York, which is where I grew up. And, um, you know, you, you could be wondering how, how I ended up here. Um, and the shortest answer that I can give to that is that when I was a freshman in college, God got a hold of my life and completely changed it and called me into ministry and led me here. Um, and how he did that um, primarily was through meeting Gina on a summer mission. And she's now my wife, and so she's here, and so I'm here. Um, so that's, that's the shortest possible version I can give. Um, I'll, I'll give just a little bit more detail because I think it's, um, it's helpful for what we're speaking about today. Um, so I would say that growing up, my background, I, I would call myself an occasional Catholic. I, I went to church sometimes, but it wasn't something that I particularly found a, a ton of value in. Um, I, I did it because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Um, yeah, um, but I, I didn't have like a, a real relationship with God, and I, I didn't even know that was something that you could have. I just kind of um, just, just went because I thought you were supposed to. Um, so that's kind of where I was going, going into my college years and my college experience. And when I uh, went to college, I went to Cornell, and uh, I got there, and I met, um, I met these people who were completely different from the other people that I had met when I was at Cornell. Um, their names were Scott and Ben. And so um, what, what made them different, two main things. One was their humility. Um, so uh, at Cornell, I met a lot of people who were very proud that they went to Cornell. Um, you might have heard of Andy Bernard in the office, you know. He's very, very proud of going to Cornell. Cornell 95, Andy Bernard, you know. Um, but uh, that was the year I was born, 95. Um, but <laughs> um, but, uh, but there's this, this kind of chorus of, you know, I'm, I'm here at Cornell because of my intellect and my effort and my ability. Um, but, but that wasn't the way it was with Scott and Ben. They, they were very quick to acknowledge that all of the intellect that they had, all the ability that they had was a gift from God and that he had given that to them um, as something to steward and to use for his glory. Um, and I didn't meet anybody else who, who was like that. And so that, that really stuck, stuck out to me from them. Um, the other thing that I noticed was their peace. Um, this, is, this is not unique to Cornell. Um, college students everywhere are very stressed and very overworked, uh, at least I found. Um, but uh, I think peace among college students is unique no matter where you go. There aren't very many college students that I meet that seem to have peace regardless of what season they're in. Um, but ben, ben and Scott did. I remember um, just many times during the semester when we all had exams, we all had papers, things are piling up, and yet they, they were still happy, they were still joyful and peaceful and still found time to watch SpongeBob in their dorm room. So, um, yeah, so I mean, those, those things definitely uh, stuck out to me for sure. Um, things that I found identity in primarily and, and found my, my, my hope in and my self-worth were running and in um, my academic performance. Um, I had met them through the running club. I had not made the varsity team, and I'd been kind of relegated to running clubs, so that, that was taken away from me right off the bat. Um, but when we got to the end of the first semester, that was when I finally got my grades. And, um, you know, looking back on it, they weren't, like, that bad, but in the moment, it, it felt like this crushing thing because all of high school, I'd been this, you know, straight-A student, and I'd become accustomed to that. And, and so just getting anything else other than an A just felt like the worst thing that I could ever, ever experience. Um, and I really just, yeah, I felt like, um, I felt broken, I felt alone, I felt like, um, 
yeah, there's, there's this one moment I can remember after an exam where um, I took the exam and I knew that I would totally bombed it even though I had studied so hard and I walked across the arts quad um, at our school in and, and the pitch black all alone and it was really cold and I just took my backpack off and I threw it on the ground and I just kicked it like all the way across the, the arts quad as I was walking. Um, and nobody was there, it was just me. I was all alone just kicking this backpack because um, I just was so frustrated that I had studied so hard and had just messed up again. Um, and it was, it was in this place where I was that uh, Scott and Ben shared the gospel with me. Um, and they didn't just share it from like, you know, quoting some book, but they shared it in, in a way that really resonated with me at that time. And uh, what, what they said was that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus to die for me. Um, he sent Jesus to live a perfect life and, and to die for all of my imperfection, for all of my sin. And so when God looked at me, if, if I were to follow Jesus, when God looked at me, he didn't see, you know, the fact that I had gotten a C on a test. He didn't see that I wasn't fast enough. He, he only saw Jesus's perfection on my behalf. And he would look at me and accept me based completely on what Jesus did and not based on what I had done. And that sounded in that moment so amazing to me and like something that I definitely wanted, but there was something in me that, that kept me from, from just accepting it. I was like, I, I need to know if this is something that I can, can accept, that I can trust. And so they said, well, how about when you go home over break, you, you read the Bible, you start in the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament. And I had heard so many people for so many years say, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, you know. Um, and I was like, wow, this is finally the chance that I can see once and for all what the Bible actually says. So I, so I took them up on it. Um, and I, I read through the Gospel of Matthew, and very quickly in, in chapter 10, I came across this verse. Um, it's Matthew 10, 39, and it's Jesus speaking. And he says, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. That verse, yeah, changed my life. I didn't have a reason to believe it when I first read it. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit just convicted my heart that this word was true, and I could see how I'd been trying to find my life in running and in grades and in anything else that I could try and find hope in, but I wasn't finding it. Um, and here Jesus was saying, if you let go of pursuing those things, you pursue me first, then you will find your life. And I, I believed him, and, and that's, that's how God changed my life in, in short. Um, and so it's really a privilege for me to be able to share today specifically about this text of Scripture, Scripture that, or the, the text saying that all Scripture is breathed out by God because that reality actually personally changed my life um, when I was a freshman in college. So that um, is just a privilege for me. Um, so yeah, um, I'm just going to pray one more quick time and then uh, we'll dive into the text that we have before us. Um, Ah, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are, God. Thank you for your peace, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you that your word always accomplishes the purposes that you have for it, God. It never returns void to you. Um, so I pray that your word would accomplish its purpose here today and that that would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so if you uh, have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, if you don't, there are Bibles under the seats in front of you. I think it'll be helpful if you could turn there so you can follow along. <clears throat> um, just a little recap from last week. Um, as, as Austin was preaching on the first half of this chapter, um, we, we saw that the main point was that disordered love leads to false teaching and false worship. And so 
um, when, when we love ourselves more than we love God, it causes us to, to twist the truth and to use it for our own means, and we bear obvious bad fruit as a result of that. So that's kind of the one-sentence summary from last week. Um, but, but looking at this week, um, we're going we're gonna to see the contrast of that. We're going to see the contrast of, of bad fruit um, with, with good fruit. And so um, there's a lot of different things that Paul is saying to Timothy in these verses, but the, the main point that I uh, want to focus in on in this ver- is in verse 14 um, in the first half. And uh, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And so uh, in contrast to these false teachers who are, you know, always learning but never arriving at the knowledge of the truth, Paul has said to Timothy, you have the truth, continue in it. Um, uh, yeah, so in other words, I, I'd just like to phrase that as continuing in the truth of the gospel. Um, and when I say that, I, I'm just going to quote Tim Keller here, um, the truth of the gospel being that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, and yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Um, so that's, that's kind of my working definition of continuing in the truth of the gospel, continuing in that truth. Um, and I believe that that is Paul's main purpose in writing to Timothy in, uh, in this, this section here. Um, if you're an outline person, I have an outline for us behind me. If you're not, just bear with me for a moment as I go through it. Um, but yeah, so Paul is kind of going to go through here, and he's going to give uh, three reasons to Timothy for continuing in this truth of the gospel. He's going to give two tests um, that he can use to discern truthful teaching from false teaching. And um, he's also uh, going to give one main method for continuing in the truth. Those aren't going to exactly be in order because, you know, Paul, Paul writes and, and we go through it, but those are going to come up, and I'm going to try and point those out as we go. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what we're working with this morning. Um, yeah, so let's just let's start with the, the first reason that Paul gives Timothy. Um, so he writes in verse 14, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Um, so, yeah, that first reason is know who you learned it from. And for Timothy, that was from Paul, from the Apostle Paul. Um, I don't think that this encouragement here has an authoritarian kind of tone. I think that this is actually more of the tone of a, a good, close, dear friend speaking to another. Um, there are certain times in Scripture where Paul will, um, yeah, he will rebuke people who are, are not following the, the faith, who are not... Um, continuing in the truth, and he'll correct them with more of an authoritarian tone. But I think here he's saying, you know, that Timothy is practicing and is continuing in the faith. And so um, I don't think that he's authoritarian. Um, two verses that uh, come to mind that I just wanted to share about that. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He doesn't refer to anybody else that way. He has this unique relationship um, with him. Um, Timothy's father was a Greek. Um, he was not um, following the Lord, um, and so Paul kind of adopted Timothy as his um, child in the faith. And then also in Philippians 2.20, um, Paul is thinking about who he's going to send to Philippi to help the church that he's planted there, and he says about Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him. Um, he had, I mean, Paul had so many disciples, so many people that he had raised up in the faith, but Timothy was, was unique to Paul in this way. So, um, yeah, I think when, when Paul exhorts Timothy to continue in the truth because he knows who he learned it from, I think he's inviting Timothy to remember every aspect of his life because they knew each other so well. And 
in doing so, Paul's confident that Timothy will see in, in everything that Paul practiced what he preached and that that validated the message that he was preaching. Um, obviously not like perfect without sin, but when he looked at his life as a whole, um, he could see that Paul was, was consistent. I think that that is really crucial for us today as Christians. Um, I talk to people a lot um, about, you know, why are you not a Christian? And I think the most common answer that I get is because of Christians um, is the biggest reason that I'm not a Christian. Um, and when I meet people who are Christian, the biggest answer that they give is also because of Christians. So how, how is there this big discrepancy? Um, you know, um, as we look at our lives, would we be able, um, you know, would, or rather, as others look at our lives, would they look at us, and um, as we see in, in the first verse here, um, would they be able to look at our teaching and our conduct and our aims in life and our faith and our patience towards difficult people and our love and our steadfastness during difficult circumstances? Would they be able to look at those and see Jesus in all of those things? Um, Paul knew in writing that list to Timothy that Timothy could look at his life and he could see faithfulness in all those areas. Um, so I think it's important for us to examine ourselves and, and see um, if we would also be um, able to hold up under that. Um, for my own journey, just going back to that, um, this um, is like a big reason why, why I came to faith. When I was during f uh, finals week, I was studying for Calc 2 and I was just totally lost, but all of my so-called friends that I thought that I had made were, um, you know, off studying and they didn't have time to help me and so I was just stressing and, and like really lost um, and my two friends, Scott and Ben, um, they had already taken Calc 2, and they, they took time out of their incredibly busy final schedules to meet with me and to help me, um, and I, you know, I ended up doing well in the final and passing the class. Um, and so, yeah, they didn't, they didn't just preach Scripture to me, they, they lived it to me, and that left an impression. Um, and I think that our lives have the power to leave an impression on those around us as well. Um, so at this point, Paul switches from discussing his manner of life to discussing the trials that have come upon him. Um, so if we look uh, in verse, verse 12 here, um, Paul started at verse 11 saying, you, however, have followed. He gives the list, and then he says, you, however, have followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Um, so why, why the shift? Why the shift from talking about what, what he did to what happened to him. Is, is he bragging? Is he boasting? Saying, wow, I'm, I'm so good. I could continue in the faith with all of uh, the persecution around me. I, I don't think so. I think that um, this is the first test that he's giving Timothy. Not a, um, not a uh, infallible test, but just a general test of sincerity. Are those who are teaching you willing to suffer for what they teach, for what they preach? Um, when the going gets tough, do they just fall away from what they say, or do they continue in it? Now, obviously not an infallible test because, you know, I'm sure that there are some flat earthers out there who you could persecute and they would still say, yep, this is true. You know, we're going to continue in the flat earth no matter what. Um, so obviously not an infallible test, but still a good general test of sincerity. Um, I think Paul pairs this with the second test, which is, is the teaching faithful to the gospel? That being the more important of the two tests. And when Paul looked at, or when Timothy looked at Paul's life, he could see clearly that he passed both of these tests, Right. Um, when Paul in verse 11 mentions the persecutions in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, these aren't like abstract ideas for, for Timothy. This isn't like, hey, Timothy, you heard about this. Um, Timothy actually grew up in Lystra, and so he would have 
uh, most commentators agree, he would have actually seen um, Paul getting stoned there and almost dying um, for simply preaching the gospel. Um, and so, yeah, just, uh, just reading that text here, um, Paul, he gets stoned, he leaves, and then he recovers from his injuries, and then he comes back to encourage the believers that he's, uh, he's met there, um, that the converts that have come to know Jesus in Lystra. And um, Paul says, uh, or rather, yeah, it says that Paul uh, returned and strengthened the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so Timothy would have, would have heard this and would have seen this. And so now, years later, as Paul is in a jail cell in Rome writing his last letter about to die, um, reminding Timothy that all who um, wish to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, it's consistent from the very beginning, through many tribulations we must enter, and to the very end, all who desire to live a godly life are going to be persecuted. Um, yeah, and so this, uh, we see that consistency in Paul's uh, teaching and in how he endured persecution. Um, but yeah, moving on uh, into verse uh, 13 and 14, um, we're going to see Paul contrasting the false teachers moving on from the gospel with Timothy's continued faithfulness to it, which is sort of what I was uh, talking about a little bit earlier. Um, but the text says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Um, and so we're just going to do a little bit of Greek here because it's really fascinating, and I hope that uh, we all get something out of this. Um, the word that's, that's translated go on is prokopto, and that means to progress. And so it's, it's kind of ironic that Paul uses this here because essentially he's saying these false teachers, they think that they're progressing. They think they're moving forward. And yet, in reality, they're going from bad to worse. They don't even know that they're actually not progressing. They're actually regressing. Um, there are different ways that this manifests itself. Um, in Paul's day, it was commonly through um, Jewish believers saying that all new um, People who came to know Christ um, had to be circumcised to follow him. Um, but nowadays, uh, it manifests itself in, in other ways. For example, saying, you know, to go to heaven, you have to be baptized in this particular church. Or saying that um, you have to pray a specific prayer um, to, for, for God to, to love you. Or that you have to confess your sins a certain way for God to forgive you. Um, these, these are uh, just certain things that um, we see in our own days kind of on the, the legalism end of the spectrum. But false teaching could also manifest itself on the other end of the spectrum, on, on the license end. So saying that we can, like, it doesn't matter what, what God's uh, commands are because we just know that God is love, so let's just do whatever we want. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're, we're fine. Um, but it's clear that, um, like, whichever one of these extremes Paul is referring to with these, um, these false teachers in Ephesus, um, it's clear that they thought that they're progressing, but in fact they're deceived and, and not um, in the truth. Um, so that's kind of where they're at. And he contrasts that with Timothy. And Timothy is commanded to continue in the gospel and to not pro progress past it, to not move past it. Um, and so, yeah, just the last Greek here is just, um, the word is meno, which means to abide. And so you have this contrast of people who think they're progressing, they think they have a new gospel, they're moving past what they've been taught, and you have Timothy who is commanded to stand right here and to not move, to stand firm, 
He's not going to the left or to the right. He's going to stand exactly where he's been taught and stand on that, knowing that that's what God has given him to stand on. Um, and so, like, a verse that kind of just talks about that is from 1 John 2, and it says, as for you, as for you young Christians in the faith, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Not what you heard, like, like later, like what you heard in the beginning, not, not what the new false teachers are teaching you, the original gospel delivered to you. Continue in that. Um, yeah, so uh, just, yeah, summarizing that so far, we've uh, seen that Timothy has been instructed to continue following the true gospel that he's received from Paul because he knows Paul's character and um, has seen his willingness to suffer for it. And he's combined that with um, a warning to Timothy to look out for false teaching um, and to not stop short of the gospel and to not move past it. So that's, that's where we're at so far. And now we're going to move on to the second reason that Paul gives, which is in the second half of uh, verse 14 into 15, um, for continuing in the truth. And um, we're going to use the NASB translation here, which I'll, I'll explain why we're going to do that, but I think it's really helpful. So here's what it says. It says, um, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And so, just to be clear, this, this second reason that Paul is giving Timothy to continue in the truth um, is because the gospel that Paul is preaching is in complete harmony with the Old Testament and indeed the fulfillment of the Old Testament writings that Timothy has been acquainted with since childhood. Except he hasn't just been acquainted with them, which is why I, uh, I chose this translation here. Um, the Greek word oida, which is a, translated acquainted in the ESV, is translated known um, in the NASB, and, and that is, is what it means. It means known. And so Timothy wasn't just acquainted with these things. He didn't just you know, read them once a week kind of thing. Um, he had grown up with a Jewish mother and grandmother. They would have had him memorize probably the entire Torah, um, which is hard for us to imagine nowadays, but most people, most Jews back then had to memorize large chunks of it. Um, so he would have known it like the back of his hand. So that's, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing that this translation captures is that the Old Testament writings lead to the New Testament. Um, there's a sense of direction in the Greek word, ice, it's a preposition, and it usually denotes a, like a movement in a particular direction, not just a general movement. Um, so, yeah, this, uh, I think, just kind of illustrates that the, the, um, the new, um, the gospel message that Paul is preaching is, um, has been pointed to from the Old Testament, um, from the writings, um, the scripture that Timothy has read since his childhood. Um, Obviously, this could be an entire sermon on its own. It could probably be a sermon series on its own, just all the ways that the Old Testament points to the New Testament, all the prophecies, all these things about Jesus um, that we see hundreds, thousand years before he comes. Um, but I just want to read one of these, and I just want to invite all of us to put ourselves in Timothy's shoes as I read this prophecy, um, just to think, wow, like Jesus would have had this, you know, read to him many times, and, or Jesus. Did I say Jesus? I meant Timothy. Timothy would have had this read to him many times, and um, he um, wouldn't have known who it was talking about, you know, this, this coming deliverer. And yet, as soon as Paul came, he would have shared the gospel with him, and he never would have been able to look at this text the same way again. Um, so I just invite us to just have a, a fresh sense of awe as we just hear this. Um, 
Isaiah 53, three to six. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul told Timothy to remember the Old Testament writings from his childhood because he knew texts like that. He knew that um, Timothy was familiar with texts promising a coming redeemer and promising that this redeemer would atone for sin and would restore Israel and the nations to a right relationship with God. And so just these, this being one example of so many texts um, that just kind of remind us, um, or that, that Paul would have known and gave him just unshakable confidence that Jesus was the Messiah and servant king that he claimed to be. And he knew that in writing this letter to Timothy, that Timothy would clearly see that as well. And so that's why, why he encouraged him to do that. So um, finally, we're going to turn to the last two verses here, um, which gives our final reason for continuing in the truth and how Timothy is, is to go about it. And so these verses say, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, you know, this, this could be it's probably obvious from the first few letters, but um, yeah, just that uh, Timothy should continue in the gospel because scripture is God's word, because scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture, meaning the Old and New Testaments, um, breathed out by God, um, meaning that all of the words that we have in scripture came from God. Um, What we mean by that is not that like, we don't believe in, in dictation. We don't believe that they just heard a voice and then wrote down, like, exactly what the voice said. But we believe that in his sovereignty, God's Holy Spirit came upon each of the writers in the Bible. And that even though they had their unique personalities, their unique writing styles, that God completely and sovereignly guided it such that every single word that was written was exactly what he wanted communicated. Um, and I think that's, that's really beautiful, you know, because we just get to see God using men um, to write you know, this, this amazing love letter to humanity. And um, then God himself becomes a man, too. It just shows just this real, um, yeah, just him identifying with us and experiencing um, being human like us. Um, so then we see also that scripture is profitable, right? It's breathed out by God, and that's what makes it profitable because it's from God. If we, um, we look at verse 15, we remember that it contains unique wisdom that leads us to salvation, we know that there isn't anywhere else that we can turn to get, to get this kind of information, right? We know that no matter how much we study physics, no matter how much we look at the universe, all that's going to tell us about God is that he's powerful and that he's beautiful. But that's not going to tell us how we should live our lives or how we are supposed to relate to him. We're only going to know basic things about him from looking at nature. Um, but, but God gives us his word so that we can know all these, these other things about him. Um, and... Uh, we, we, we look and we see what it's profitable for, right? It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction um, and training in righteousness. 
And so from that, we kind of see that the teaching of Scripture has those three effects, right? Reproving, um, correcting, and training. And um, I, I kind of looked into ways that I could explain this well, and I found a John Piper quote, so I'm just going to use that because um, he says it really well. So, um, yeah, so he says, when we are rightly taught by the Scriptures, we are first reproved. That is, our errors are pointed out and we are stopped in our tracks. Then we are corrected. That is, we are turned around from the harmful way that we were going and pointed the right way. And third, we're trained in righteousness. That is, the Bible enables us to be trained and to grow in righteousness, i.e. to look more like Jesus. Um, so, so that's kind of how, um, what Scripture is profitable for and how it, it, it accomplishes that. Um, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, but I just want to get a little bit more practical. Um, what areas of our lives does, scrip- does Scripture speak into? Um, obviously, the short answer would be like every area of our lives, right? But um, I want to get a little more practical than that, whether it explicitly states um, how we should live in a certain area of our life or it gives us principles that implicitly guide us in, in every area of our lives. But just a short list um, that, that I came up with um, it speaks about things like our identity, about how we view success in life and what we aim for, our purpose in life, how we treat others, including the poor and exploited and vulnerable in our world, um, and dating and how to pursue relationships, and, and so much more. I mean, there are so many other things that, that Scripture teaches us about. That's just a short list. But I just want us to remember that it doesn't just teach us about these things. The last part of the last verse in this section says that the man of God will be equipped for every good work. So it's not enough just to know this. It's not enough to read scripture, to have it like on your heart. It's supposed to bear fruit. It's supposed to change you. Um, And so um, we don't just, yeah, read it to gain knowledge or gain wisdom for their own sake. We do it so that godliness increases in our lives and we um, are able to love those around us and um, to be light and, and love and like Christ to them. Um, and so as we read, we can, we can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to use this word to transform us and make us more like him. And so, yeah, in closing, I just want to bring up a few uh, applications for us that we can take away. Um, the first one, just going back to the beginning, is, is for all of us who are Christians, just um, examine ourselves, examine yourself. Um, are your conduct, your aims in life, your faith, your patience, your steadfastness, are those things pointing people around you to the character and love of Jesus. And um, yeah, like we, we know that Paul's character was to Timothy. It doesn't mean that he was perfect, but in general, is, are those parts of our lives pointing people to, to God and to his love? Um, second application is uh, for all of us to read and study scripture. Again, not merely just to gain knowledge or to gain wisdom, but to actually become more like Jesus. Um, and just an encouragement for that, like, if you've been in a youth group your whole life, you've probably been taught, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But an encouragement that, that I read this morning that I wasn't even like planning on using in this sermon, just in Psalm 19, it says that um, the word of God is more valuable than gold and more precious than drippings from the honeycomb. It's just like this amazing imagery of like, it just is sweet to the soul and satisfying. Um, so I, I use that as encouragement. Um, if, if you're a young Christian, if you're new to the faith, I encourage you to read the entire Bible for the first time. That doesn't mean, need to be like, you know, in one day. I don't think you could in one day, um, or even a week for that matter. 
Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I encourage you to see for yourself God's redemptive plan from Genesis to Revelation all the way through to see what Timothy must have seen once the gospel came to him. Um, if you've been walking with the Lord for a number of years, uh, I want to challenge you to memorize scripture, to put it on your heart, to have it always ready. Um, in Ephesians 6, Paul kind of talks about this, this battle that we're in against lies that are around us, against spiritual forces, against Satan, things that try to deceive us, right? Um, and um, it gives a long list of armor to protect ourselves, but it only gives one weapon that we have to fight back, and it says that that weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, how are you going to fight back if you don't have the weapon, if you don't have the Word with you? Um, to quote Charles Spurgeon, he says, the Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in the bookcase. Um, and so I would just agree with that sentiment and encourage all of us to memorize scripture and put it in our memory. Um, I'm also just going to give a plug for a website if um, you really want to take this seriously. Um, fighterverses.com uh, has an extensive list of verses. They also have a 99-cent app. Um, basically, once a week, they send you a verse and they send you tools to help you memorize it. Um, and they have uh, five years' worth of things that you can memorize um, um, to, yeah, have God's word on your heart. Um, so, yeah, so those, those are my encouragement to, to Christians. And I just want to encourage everyone who's here, if, if you're not a Christian, that God loves you and is inviting you into a relationship with him today. Um, I wanted to share with you a promise of God from Isaiah chapter 55, which I prayed a bit of earlier, um, but I just want to share the, the entire uh, promise here. It says, it says this. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So I just want to encourage you all, um, Christian or not Christian, to take hold of that promise um, that God has for us today um, and to experience that purpose that he sent his word for. And what was that purpose, right? Well, that purpose was that we would be restored into a right relationship with God. And we're reminded of that every time that we come to this table. We're reminded of the cost that God paid by giving us his only son so that we could be restored into a right relationship with him. And so on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and having given thanks, he broke it. And he said, take this. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper was ended... He took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me.